0: My third day in country, uh, our third day in country, you know, we're looking out there and I remember seeing these uh, two Afghans walk up and they pick up this torso and they lay it in this shirt.
1: Welcome to The Depression Files, where we talk about everything related to mental health. From depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system and, of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. We educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right. Hey, welcome to The Depression Files. I have with me tonight Lee J. Plummer, Lee is a husband, a father, a veteran, a writer, artist, and an influencer. Lee, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? It's going very well. I'm excited to be talking to you, Lee. I know uh, Lee and I, we connected uh, via Twitter, and I was really interested in interviewing you, Lee, primarily because I've, I've really been trying to reach out to some veterans. I think veterans have kind of unique situations, unique circumstances, obviously, and unfortunately, there um, have been many uh, veterans, I think, who it's known that many take their lives, and so I really wanted the perspective of a veteran who's open uh, about their depression, so thank you again for uh, taking the time and joining me. Yeah, no,
0: thank you for having me on here.
1: So, Lee, uh, just to give us a little bit of a sense, you're 33 years old, is that right? Yes. And you're married and have two kids? Yes, I do. All right. How old are your kids?
0: Uh, I have a 13-year-old and I have a four-year-old.
1: Okay, ooh, quite a span there. One a uh, middle school, probably about, and then yeah, uh, cool. Uh,
0: my my boy, he's going into eighth grade next year. Last year before high school, and my daughter is four. And after next summer, she will be starting school. So,
1: awesome. Wow, that's exciting. One uh, one will be starting high school, essentially, while one's going <laughs> to be starting school.
0: Yes. Whoa,
1: that'll keep you on your toes.
0: Indeed, it will.
1: Okay, awesome. So I know you've had essentially two different kind of uh, bouts of depression, one that you experienced as uh, a younger person.
0: Yes. Uh, you know, I, I had some uh, childhood traumas that uh, affected me. Uh, in my uh, early adolescence, before adulthood. Um,
1: what kind of things happened as a child that impacted you?
0: Well, so, let's see, where could I start? Um, I mean, I had various things. My, my mom, uh, my biological mother, um, she was big into drinking and uh, alcohol and drugs, and uh, couldn't really, you know, she wasn't um, able to uh, provide uh, properly for a child. And so that led me to, um, live with my grandpa and my grandma. Uh, you know, they, they took me in and, uh, they always supported me and took care of me. But in this whole span of my grandparents and my biological mother, um, you know, I, I went back and forth a lot, you know, up until the age of 10. Um, you know, I, I was all over the place. I experienced, uh, bad boyfriends from my, Mother, you know, drinking and drugs in front of me, um, you know, child abuse and, you know, various other things. That
1: sounds like a a lot to handle. Um, And then I would imagine at age 10 or so, obviously, you don't have the language and don't really understand what's going on as far as depression. So I'm guessing this was in hindsight, looking back, that you would consider that to be a, a bout of depression that you had gone through.
0: It was. And so, I mean, it, it came in later years. And so, you know, thankfully, and I, I, I honestly, I have to give the credit to uh, my grandpa and my grandma, you know, for everything they did for me. Because I, I, was, I wasn't a disturbed child, you know, I wasn't damaged per se. Uh, but, uh, you know, I had this weight, you know, that was kind of building up inside of me. And, you know, it didn't show itself until later. But at the age of 10... My grandma uh, developed colon cancer, and well, actually, right before I turned 10. But my grandpa thought it would be best that I move up here with uh, his sister, my uh, great aunt and uncle. Um, which eventually, you know, in the next coming years, they adopted me. But you know, I, I lost my my grandma, and you know, as I started this new life after 10, you know, I had the depression symptoms. You know, shy, being bullied you know i was very uh secluded you know i I didn't i wasn't outgoing you know there was a there was something that was an issue there and you know I, i even saw a counselor that my parents now put me in there you know
1: that is a a lot to handle as a little kid and a lot of movement and uh the death piece were are you still in touch with your mom
0: Uh, yes and no, uh, that's, uh, it's, so I have, let's see, I moved up here when I was 10 in Oregon, um, and I've been with my family now for the past 23 years, and, uh, I've talked to my biological mom a time or two, but she eventually, uh, tends to go right back to what I remember as a child, you know, and, and I don't want to be around that. Um, and so, time and time again, we try and then we fail. You know, but as an adult, I'm 33 years old. It's you know, it's it's not that wounds can't be healed, but um, you know, I it's really hard for me to put myself out there to start a relationship with someone that I honestly don't know anymore.
1: You know. Right. Was there a father in the picture?
0: Yes. And so uh, on the, the on the father side of things, um, you know, he. I have a couple memories of him when I was younger um you know so I I can't I don't know the full situation you know I was, I was a child but uh he wasn't really in the situation you know he left um at a young age You know, I saw him a time or two but it was really uh a lot of my journey was you know my my biological mother and my my grandparents but now cuz I have two half sisters from him and um you know, I, I talk to him now, and I, I actually just went to the river with him recently as well. And, you know, we're we're starting fresh, you know, but he went about it in a way that was, let's, let's forget about the past, you know, let's bygones be bygones, you know, it's it's been too long, and uh, let's see what we can start at the age that we're at, you know. Uh,
1: it sounds like he's trying to do the best he can, and it sounds like you're open to it.
0: I am, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, I... I have my mom and dad. You know, they—they are the ones that raised me. They're the ones that gave me my life. And you know, I definitely do not look at a, a family as just being blood. Um, and so, uh, I definitely want to put out there that you know, I, a lot of this credit goes to you know the people that took care of me and gave me you know the opportunities that I've gotten. But it is nice and it is healing, you know, uh, to. Start this new chapter with you know my past. So. Right,
1: right. You made it sound like you had experienced this stuff at ten, and it kind of manifested later. What did you mean by that? And when did you start experiencing it?
0: Okay, so I mean, for instance, let's you know, let's look at you know from the age ten to you know age that I was born. You know, I, I went through being abandoned. You know, I, I went through physical abuse. You know. Um, you know a couple other traumas you know bad boyfriends i mean i was i was kidnapped i mean and, and the list goes on and on uh but that stuff surprisingly never showed up inside me at that point in my life i was still a very kind child i was very playful i was joyful you know i was i wasn't i don't know you, you couldn't see the symptoms there but after i moved up here you know at, after the age of 10 up until the age of we'll just say 22 you know because that's when I joined the military um you know I I definitely dwelled on the past you know who is my m- mom and dad you know why don't they want to see me you know uh and various other feelings you know among the effects of the trauma that I experienced you know which I, I truly believe after you know taken some psychology classes and various other things, not that I'm an expert, but uh, that these things came out later in life, you know, they just kind of manifested inside me and it caused me to be sheltered or, you know, um, secluded and uh, shy and less outgoing. And, you know, I, I didn't have self-confidence, you know. I. Didn't know who I was
1: right, right. Yeah, it sounds like a fair amount of trauma you went through you kind of brushed past a Kidnapping which sounds Mm -hmm. pretty sounds pretty traumatic Was that like a a kidnapping by a stranger a relative?
0: It was by a boyfriend Um, and so in in my early childhood before I was I lived with my grandparents I think two three times within you know the first ten years of my life uh, but substantial periods uh, but the times that I was with my biological mom, you know I was exposed to various boyfriends. Um, and one of them, I have two memories um, of him, well, I have a couple, but it was one that he would pop up you know in various parts of my life. but we lived with him for a uh, okay, we'll start it there. So I lived with this guy um, and my mom you know my biological mom, and uh his two sons um and at that age i didn't know you know there's a boyfriend you know whatever i got some kids i can play with and whatnot but in fact we were actually being held against our will and i i i, I experienced a couple things there um but to not to brush past it but just to get to what we were talking about uh right. she I remember her grabbing me late at night and we, we slipped out of this it was like a warehouse apartment type thing. And we you know, we never turned back. But uh and then some point later, I, I can't say if it was years or whatever, but we were living in an apartment, she had a new boyfriend, um, and this guy that we were living with came up and he, he, he nabbed me out of the uh, bushes and took me up to his apartment and so he He must have been watching us, you know, and I don't I don't know the story to why this person did that or you know what maybe my biological mother did or whatever, but he held me captive. Um and I mean I I swear I was there for it seemed like a couple days back then. You know, it's it's been a long time. But I remember the cops coming in and they busting down the door, and you know, they, they took him and dragged him out and he rolled down the stairs, and I got to go back with, you know, my mom at that time. Um, but, you know, it was, it was very traumatic, you know, and uh, going through this. Oh, my uh,
1: goodness, you know. yeah, absolutely. And I know you mentioned uh, seeing a counselor. Is that some of what you were able to work through with a counselor?
0: So, I mean, you got to remember I was a child, and so, yeah. you know, my memories are somewhat faded, but I have a pretty good grasp of what happened. But right. when I moved up here... Um, and I, I'm sure, you know, it was something along the lines of my grandparents and, you know, my my new family that I just, you know, moved up to Oregon with, you know, they were looking out for my better interests. And so, they knew what I had been through, you know, they, th- these weren't the first time that I ever met these people, you know, I, they were family, you know, they were right. aunt and uncle, so I'd seen them as well. But, the, I went into counseling um, after I moved up here. Uh, and I mean, all I really remember of it is being fun. You know, the people I get to see. You know, the counselor or whatever. You know, she was very just playful with kids, and you know, if you want to talk about anything. And you know, back then, I I don't think I was really. I think I was oblivious to everything I went through. So, at that point, I I think I just kind of skimmed through it, and you know, I got the check mark to good to go, and you know, I kept on being a child. Uh, but something was still dwelling inside and I didn't know it at that point, you know.
1: Right, right. So then, you know, middle school, high school, would you consider those to be pretty typical years?
0: Yeah, I mean I I had my bullies and, and that's why I mean biased, you know, I wasn't I mean I was short, but uh, I was an easy target back then. You know, I, I was fairly short, you know, I didn't have I guess these stereotypical desires and you know or whatever and you know I wasn't a people person and so I was very shy I was kind of part of every crowd you know I I had friends of every group and uh but I had my bullies I had my hard times just like most everybody else I mean at least for that era
1: (laughs) right right and then take us uh to the point of after high school
0: uh so after high school uh well actually my so my my final year I think is where I uh I've really started getting lost um, and I, I know you want to go past it but I think we need it in order to get to it but yeah no uh,
1: that's that's fantastic
0: and so you know my my freshman sophomore junior year um, you yeah, know, I, I would say I was a rather good kid I was you know I did sports I did football I was on swimming for all those years um, You know, I had a good grade point average good grades and then my senior year came around and I kind of got caught up with the wrong group and started making the wrong choices and I mean not they weren't horrible but uh, that led me to a path of uh, I guess and just not being responsible uh, and so I was kind of laid back you know I started smoking pot and uh, you know I started drinking and, and, and be keep in mind this was all at the age of 18 which amazes most people but I didn't smoke any or drink until the age of 18 right uh, but, you know, I started that and, you know, I started this lifestyle of partying and, you know, kind of the carefree attitude and not really worrying about what was in front of me. And I was wrapped around a girl that just was not good for me. Uh, and so, I mean, from the age 18 to 22, you know, I, I, I had this failed relationship of three years. You know, I, I worked. God. Uh, I think up to the point I joined the military, I must have had like 13 jobs. Uh, well, keep in mind, though, I, it's not that I got fired from these jobs, but I just could never find what I wanted. And so I, I, I searched for money, you know, that realistically, you know, honestly. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be a gas pump attendant and I'd do that for a little bit. Like, no, I want more. You know, so I'd, I'd quit and I'd go to the next thing. And so I... Did a lot of jumping around, not realizing that it'd have a negative effect for finding an actual career. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all these choices, these bad choices, um, and the lifestyle, you know, and the people that I surrounded myself with kind of made me wake up at 22. I just, I remember, you know, my, my ex now was cheating on me back then, and, she, you know, she was just bad for me. And, I woke up and i was like i want to join the military so
1: after high school was there any kind of thought of going to college at that point
0: no uh honestly there wasn't um i i kind of just something i've been talking about a lot lately is i didn't feel as though the things i was good at and i've been an artist the majority of my 33 years of being alive It's, it's something i got from my grandpa but uh I didn't look at it as a realistic, um, you know, um, objective. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't the best, of the best. And that's, and I was like, how am I going to get a job, you know, doing art? And so I just kept following money. I was like, I'm going to go work at, you know, a production place or, you know, I, I did a lot of grunt work. I was, you know, I was a hard worker. I was, uh, dedicated, motivated, you know, all, all the good things. And, uh, I wasn't an office type person, but uh, I just kept following money. I didn't right. want school, you know, and I didn't want the military, honestly, either. But it came to that point.
1: Yeah. So, what was it that made you turn to the military?
0: Uh, like I said, I mean, I, I woke up one day. I was living in this apartment that uh, was above this restaurant, and uh, it, it was a horrible place. It was some old. It's been around since like the 60s where train tracks and stuff were on Foster, but uh, it was just a really rundown building. It wasn't a good apartment. I was living with my ex now, um, and she was doing some kind of shady stuff, you know, and uh, causing a drift between me and uh, a friend of mine at that point. Um, I was the cashier at Plaid Pantry. You know, I, I wasn't going anywhere, and I was 22 years old, and I was... Uh, I don't know if I heard an ad or what but i I looked to the military and I found that the reserves were looking for people to join and I'd get 20 grand uh, to join the reserves for eight years and so the way I kind of look at this is you ever seen um, the polish Shore movie in the army now
1: no I don't think so
0: Okay, well, for the people that do know, uh, my life was kind of like that. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to join, I'm going to get free college, I'm going to get 20 grand and I'm going to be a reservist, a warrior. You know, I'm never going to get deployed. And it sounded perfect. I, I was going to have some guidance, instructions stability in my life. And I was like, this is what I need. And so it got to a point, uh, when I first went in, I was going to leave, I think, like January of like 2008. And things just continued getting worse in my life. And I went into my recruiter's office and I told him, I was like, put me on the next flight out. I want to leave. I want to go. I'm ready to start this journey and leave this life behind. Uh, And that's, that's what happened.
1: Which branch of the military was this? Uh, Navy. Navy. And how long were you in the reserves before you came to that point to say, I'm ready, ship me overseas?
0: Well, so that wasn't a choice of mine. Um, that was. I, I That's kind of the, the way reservists work. You know, we're. It's exactly what it says. We're on reserve. You know, and so when something comes about, whether we're in a peacetime or a wartime, reservists get called, and so does active duty. But, you know, that's our duty. We we make sure we're Mo Brady. Um, but. uh Yeah, I I didn't make a choice. I I joined and things were going well. I I, I fell in love with the military and in 2010 I got told I was on the deployment going to Afghanistan Uh, and so I didn't have a choice. This was the next path I was going to take was go to war, you know, and do what I'm supposed to do.
1: So okay, I, I must have misunderstood you. I thought you had said that things just kept getting worse and worse, and you just said, "Hey, I'm ready. Let's go oh, do the overseas okay.
0: deal." No. So the my my personal life as a civilian before I actually got shipped off to join the military right. kept getting worse. You know, I I remember waking up to my uh my girlfriend at the time making out with another dude in my apartment. You know, and uh, I wasn't getting any promotions. Like it, just things kept stacking up on my life, that forced me to tell my recruiter that I want to. I want to enlist now. I don't want to enlist later. I don't want to. I I I jumped the gun, but in a good way, you right, know. Right. Right.
1: Uh, uh, so then, from the point you knew you were going to be going to Afghanistan until it actually happened, how much time was there?
0: It, between the point that I joined and after yeah,
1: from the time you knew you were gonna going to be deployed till the actual deployment, was that like a couple of weeks? Over? Oh yeah, uh,
0: it was. I mean, it was a while back, so this was 2010. But uh, it was. It had to have been a matter of maybe like a month. I mean, I remember them telling us, and I, I, I wrote about this uh, for a school project, but. Uh, You know, we we went and checked the roster uh, in the NOSC and I was on it. And so, you know, I come back and, you know, now it was like, okay, when are we leaving? You know, and, you know, I I got, however, in this process, you know, where in this process, um, you know, I got my orders and I got told that I was leaving, you know, March and I want to say it was it had been January that I got told maybe February cause it was right around my, uh, my, my wife's anniversary. Okay. Um, well not wife at that time, wife now.
1: But. Right. And what, to, so that month or two of waiting, what was that like? I mean, were you just itching to go excited? Was, were there
0: a lot of nerves? Um, well, you know, I, I had two sides to me and, you know, at this point in my life, uh, the military was my first love. You know, I would, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, it was my career. It, it was what changed my life and gave me everything that I had at this point. Uh, but nevertheless, I had this, you know, relationship, you know, with my wife now that was building and her son. And so that kind of makes up for that gap, um, that we were talking about with my children. Uh, when I met her, her son was four years old and I've been a part of his life ever since then. Right. Uh, but you know I had you know this you know new woman in my life and a, a kid and he wasn't mine I mean we had to have been going out for a year but um, at that point uh, before I left but things were serious I mean we we talked about marriage and you know it was it was hard you know to have to say goodbye to my mom and dad you know my, my the girl that I love and you know this uh, child that you know i I wanted to be a uh, part of it you know his life you know it was it was hard and my wife uh, now uh, she had already went through this with her previous uh, husband you know she went through a deployment and so thankfully I think that made things a little bit easier you know she knew what was coming her way and so she knew how to grasp it mentally right so
1: so when you actually finally take off and you're going to afghanistan like i just i can't imagine like you land and does it kind of smack you in the face like okay no more reserves this this is real now or what's it like when you when you actually land in afghanistan
0: well so there's a process before all that and so uh i went from uh oregon um and we went to mississippi but these were I get, you know, they were our goodbyes. And so I, you know, I had all my family there, but it was real at that point. There was no going back. Um, I mean, we had some training we had to get through in order to make sure that we were, you know, absolutely uh, mobilization ready. But we go to Mississippi for that. So I went over there and I started my training uh, for the next couple months before we left. Uh, and I got to see my wife. One last chance, you know. One last time. Just my wife. Uh, she flew down to Mississippi before I went off, and that's where that feeling of now I'm going over to the, you know, Middle East. Uh, that feeling was uh, that was strong.
1: <laughs> right. How much time do you spend in Mississippi then?
0: So let's see. I got down there. I want to say it was March, uh, and then we left um, July. Uh, Yeah, because I got to spend four July in the states before we shipped over to Kuwait, uh, because Kuwait's where we stage before we ship off. And so, uh, I guess the way to kind of think about it is, you know, we we go through this training in the states. You know, we we get told that we're ready. You know, and now we're we're really trained and ready for this environment. We go to Kuwait. And now that's where we stage. So that's where we kind of soak in the moment. We're in the desert now. You know, we're this is real. You know, this is. Uh, and so you got to get it decompressed just for a brief moment before we take the next flight to Afghanistan. But uh, yeah, I mean, getting arriving in the desert was a, was a different different feeling for sure.
1: Can you say more about it and what's going on through your mind?
0: So. We, when we left Mississippi, I mean, I'm trying to remember all the details, we went to Maine, and then from Maine, we flew all the way to Germany, uh, and there weren't, weren't long overlaps, just brief, but then from Germany, we went to Afghanistan, and, or not Afghanistan, sorry, Kuwait, and that's where the, the, the gut feeling of fear, I, I think, started really sinking in, because... I've never seen it before. I've flown quite a few times, I've been to Europe and various other things and, you know, I'm I'm used to the plane um, scenario, you know, seeing the skies and all that, but when we went from Germany to Kuwait, there was this wall of brown dust, dirt, whatever, I mean, you could see this whole country was just this cube. There was a wall dividing the clean air from the sandstorm air. And that right there was like, what are we going into? You know, we're, we're, we're going to go land down in this and uh, and you can't see. And we, we went into it and we were hovering, like we were, I think, right above it. But you could not see any of the ground. You couldn't see anything. And it was that's it was a it's a pretty scary feeling. You know, you don't know what you're going into. But we land um, and I, I think we're still on a commercial airline at this point uh, because Kuwait wasn't a dangerous uh, situation at that point. Right. But, but we come in and, I mean, it's you get off the plane and it's excruciating, excruciatingly hot. Uh, mm-hmm. But we arrived at nighttime and it was still, it was just, I mean, instant sweat. You know, you're, uh, the best way I can describe it isn't a place like uh, Mississippi. Mississippi is a humid hot, whereas... Uh, say like Arizona, it was a very dry hot, you know, you just lost all the moisture to your mouth and it's dirty, everything's tan, all the tents, I mean, there's tents everywhere, there's military personnel walking from one place to another, you know, everybody's got a job, you know, we're getting shuffled to these tents with our gear that we've just shipped, you know, overseas and, uh, you know, it's very go, go, go um, and then we finally get a rest at the end of that first night. Uh, and it's, it's not scary there because it's Kuwait. We're not getting, you know, we're not in the war zone yet. So,
1: right. And then how about, uh, actually heading towards the war zone?
0: So we, I think we, I want to say we spent like you know, a week or two in Kuwait and, uh, I, I, you know, we were ready, you know, we went through the stuff we had to. And so we, we get on this plane.
1: How many guys so, are you with?
0: Uh, I think our battalion uh, just our battalion alone, I want to say, we must have been like 600. Wow. Uh, you know, but there was many other forces over there. You know, the Navy wasn't the only one. Right. Uh, and to clarify on that, too, because a lot of people, uh, or many people, don't know that, you know, don't understand, well, why is the Navy in the desert? You know, well, I was a CB, uh, and so we were a construction battalion. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, we We get ready. And we get our bags and everything's loaded up. And I want to say, I have to look it up. I'm sorry, but it's either a C-130 or a C-115 uh, or C- C-115. But the plane that we took can do a vertical dive basically. And we go up in this plane. And, you know, you're strapped up, and it's it's not a commercial flight anymore. You got, you know, chairs on the walls. You got rows in the middle, and you got the big you know, doors open the back. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting uh, scenario. Sitting in something that's just all mechanical. It's not luxury. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's the only way I can really describe it. But we go into Afghanistan. You know, we're 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 going to uh, Kandahar, and we are on this plane that now that we're in a war zone we can't just do this graceful uh landing into this area that is you know attacking us and so we do this vertical dive and you get and and then they kind of level out right before we get ready to land and so you're on a plane that is basically a roller coaster and you just kind of lose your stomach on that drop and it's it's a feeling i've a roller coaster would never able to match. I mean, it's it's unreal.
1: That must have been
0: scary. Yeah, but once we get on the base, you know, it's we're we're in we're on a military installation, so it's not so bad. Um, you know, we we were out of harm's way for the most part. You know, right. so it was. But you know, we were there, and you know, we grab our stuff, and you know, we start the next journey of getting shuffled to where we're going to be living for the next. You know six months to a year
1: and when you say shuffled there like uh, how far away do you guys go and then is that like another kind of base camp for you guys and then you do day trips out of there or how did that work
0: well so i was on uh well i i trained uh as a part of convoy security element um and uh, cse and so they we ran gun trucks and we would um you know take uh, the line hall or other people, we would take them to the destination that they needed to go so they could drop the supplies. And so that was my job. I was a driver. Uh, I did comms uh, and I was uh, qualified as a gunner as well. So uh, not to go too far back in time, but I was trained on convoy security element, but they dropped the second team and we turned it. They got turned into the line hall. So we still worked as one unit, but two different names, just in case anybody's listening to this and, you know, I'm not trying to steal anybody's credit, so I want to get all the facts. <laughs> right. you know, yeah, it happens, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, I was convoy. I was trained convoy, but I was still in it just as much as they were. Uh, but um, we go to, you know, this base and uh, it's basically like a city. I mean, we have a boardwalk, there's places to eat, there's gyms. There's barracks to go, you know, there's chow halls, there's, you know, the working installations. And then there's the various groups. You know, you have the Army section, you have the Navy section, you have the other country's forces that are staged all over the place. But uh, my, and we didn't start as soon as we got there, and we had to kind of get introduced to, you know, the country.
1: Uh, Were all these different groups uh pretty much getting along and supporting one another or was there a bit of a rivalry between them all?
0: Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, the services always have their rivalries. Uh, but, no, we were working as one unit. We were all allies. You know, we, we all shared the same places and we all did the same job in a sense. I mean, we all had our own, but, I mean, every force that was there, um, you know, they were all an asset to what was going on in Afghanistan
1: right so other than like a friendly rivalry between different branches of the military people were supportive of one another and and knew you were working together for the same mission
0: Oh, of course yes you know um, know, yeah
1: Um, and so go you would essentially be driving taking, taking artillery to places did you say I'm sorry
0: so the way, it, so what we did was, you know, we had our, our CS, uh our, our convoy team, um, and I believe it was six, seven, uh, gun trucks, uh, MRAPs, um, I can't remember what the acronym stands for, sorry, but, um, but we would take these vehicles, these heavily armored vehicles, uh, these gun trucks, uh, and they would drive those, and we would have 50 cal gunners, and we would have two forty bravo gunners, but now, the other part of the team, which I was a part of, uh, was uh, Line haul, And so we drove basically like cargo trucks. We would drive, you know, a, a gas truck for fuel. And so the, the, the convoy team protected us, you know, and we would drive within the group, you know, spread out. And then we would go deliver. Whatever supplies needed to be, you know, maybe we were setting up a fob and we needed to go ship out some Hesco barriers, you know, or um, some people would be in remote locations and you know they need uh, a replenishment of supplies and you know we would take MREs and you know whatever various supplies that we would uh, that they would need, uh, we would take it to them uh, at the risk of you know going through the terrain of Afghanistan
1: right so what uh, what were some of the main risks that you had to be aware of on each of
0: these runs well I mean the the risk I mean I can't say every time was the same but there was we always prepared for the initial risk you know IEDs uh, car bombs uh, you know we didn't have to like guide cards or anything but we did you know, we would drive at nighttime, uh, but we still would get caught in traffic. And so, you know, we had to be observant of every vehicle, you know, every little, you know, misplaced looking object, you know. Uh, and we would look for everything because, you know, we didn't want to get that occasion where you would have an IED go off and it's your truck, you know.
1: Can you feel your, like... In my mind, I have so much respect for you and, and everybody in the military. And I wasn't in the military, but it seems to me like you're, you would be on such high alert um, you are, at all are you? times, right? And like, like that, I don't know, like the feeling you get in your body, is it just like a continual adrenaline rush of, and almost a fear or paranoia of having to know everything that's going around at all times?
0: You know, looking back at it now, you know I, I understand it more. Uh, you know, when I was in it, not so much. I didn't, I didn't know what hyper vigilance was. I didn't know, you know, this uh, this flight or fight mechanism that you know is in our inside our brains that you know releases this chemical to, you know, do the things that we do. I I didn't realize it back then, but uh, no, I mean, for me, it's just. I guess it just felt like it was the way of life. I had no choice. I was there whether I liked it or not. And so I had to make the most of my situation. And so I was very observant. You know, I, I could tell the hypervigilance. I would look everywhere. We all did. That's how we were trained, you know. Right, right. Um, and so it's it's kind of distilled into us within our training. You know, and, and the training itself was amazing. But that's what did all this. And so, you know, it was easy to skiing across but no matter how hyper vigilant you are or you know this this adrenaline rush that you know we're living off over there um it's just sometimes you still don't know you know you can still get surprised uh you know it's just the way it is
1: right would you uh be looking like at fear and some of the your guys in the battalion and stuff when i mean could you tell certain guys were really? fearful at times or was everybody did it does everybody kind of put on this front whether they're scared as hell or not of nope I'm I'm tough I'm here
0: um you know I I would definitely have to say that and I I can't speak for everybody I I do know some people take it better than others and you know I'm my I was reservist you know I have one tour it's it's not like I have you know I'm not trying to diminish you know my service or anything but I didn't I've known people that have done three, four, five tours, you know, maybe some peacetime, you know, multiple war, you know, and, and have a family. And you know, they're still doing it, you know, and I, I did it. So I don't I don't dwell on the fact that we all can take it differently. But yes, I think many of us we put this face on, we, we put this front. You know, we're we're in the military, you know, if we don't do it, who else is going to, you know, and so we, we bury that stuff down because we have a job to do. We don't have time to uh, cry. We don't have time to uh, be scared of it because whether we like it or not, you know, the convoy rolling out and, uh, you know, you, you got to just kind of swallow it deep, you know, but you would see some people that it would uh, affect them. And it affected me, uh, especially while I was there. But I, I couldn't do nothing about it.
1: Right. And I know it sounded like you were in some pretty traumatic uh, situations while you were there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I saw my fair share uh, for you know my life, uh, but uh, I guess where I could start is um, my third day in country, you know, our third day in country. Uh, we were going, we were still getting introduced to the country. You know, we weren't convoy ready, um, and so we were learning about IEDs at this point. Um and I remember this uh I wanna say they were cleaning up the remnants of it, but somewhere in the vicinity this uh vehicle IED had went off, uh near the um the perimeter. And I remember we're all sitting there, you know, you know, class was kinda canceled at the moment, let's, you know, listen up, you know, alarms going off, you know, various other things. And you know, we're looking out there, and I remember seeing these uh, two Afghans walk up, and they pick up this torso, and they lay it in this shirt, uh, and this is the body of the person that you know had blown themselves up. Um, but they wrapped, they laid it in the shirt, they wrapped it up, they threw it over their back, and they walked away. And this was my third day in Afghanistan uh, seeing this. And that, at that point it was, all right, this is real. You <laughs> know, this, right. this just happened, you
1: know, uh, it just, it sounds so, uh, incredibly scary.
0: It is, you know, uh, we had various other, um, experiences, you know, a couple times we'd get to a fob or, uh, area that we're staging up for the day or even just for a moment. And an IED would go off and, you know, we'd, we watched watch the mushroom cloud, um, Thankfully, I myself, you know, in the convoys that I was a part of, I never had to receive any fire. Um, that was, I'm, I'm heavily thankful for that, you know, but uh, we did have one of our vehicles got hit by anti-personal mine. Um, and it blew off the whole front of the vehicle. Um, and the people weren't, Uh-oh. I don't want to say physically injured. But, you know, the compression from that kind of explosion, um, they were definitely uh, rattled up. And I want to say all of them got Purple Hearts, you know, for having to go through that. Um, But, you know, we we experienced a lot of things, rocket attacks at night. And that was in the comfort of our base, you know. Um, Yeah, I mean, quite a few memories. What kind of attack did you say at base? Rocket attacks. And so um, whether uh, I I can't. I don't know which one, or which if it was a rocket or a howitzer, I mean, but nevertheless at nighttime we would have, and this was the most frequent event that we would go through, uh, but the alarms would go off uh, when, you know, danger is coming our way. And so they'd go off and, you know, we'd come out, and night after night, and the, the alarms mean getting bunkers, and so, you know, there's grab your rifle get your armor vest and get to the bunkers whether you're in pajamas or whatever you know it's it's not a time to comb your hair it's not a time to brush your teeth it's get down to bunkers it's for your safety and uh, you know a rocket would come in and it would land somewhere and we would wait in these bunkers and listen you know for the faint sound of where it might have landed on base sometimes it was close sometimes it was far um, I remember one time going to the galley. Uh, I was, I was gonna leave early. Uh, I'm not trying to like hype up this story or anything, but I, I was literally going to leave early. But I got caught up talking to my roommate, uh, and so it, it deterred me a little bit. And so I'm, I'm thankful for this moment. But when I finally left, I was about halfway to the chow hall, and. We had to walk quite a distance to go eat, you know, whether it's at the boardwalk or the facilities that provided food. Uh, but I remember I was on this walk, and I was about halfway there, maybe like five minutes away from actually being at this building. And I, you know, I hear this just kind of whistle, you know, go through the air. Uh, you know, like all I could assume is maybe by like a rocket or something. And uh, it hit, and it hit the galley. It hit the, the, the chow hall where I was going to go eat. And the the roof deflected most of it, but some shrap metal got through. It um, it hit a, a I want to say he was 22, and from what I remember, he was uh, in the army, uh, possibly like EOD, and, and he died on the spot. Um, one of our senior chiefs, he uh, got uh, some shrap metal in his neck and got life flighted to Germany, you know, and, uh, you yeah, I was, I wasn't about five minutes away from getting ready to eat at this place. You know, wow. it was, if things could have been, you know, if things would have been different. I'm not saying it would have been me and I'm not trying to dwell on this moment, but I could have very well had a front row seat to see that even more so than I already did.
1: Right, right. So when these alarms would go off at nighttime, how how frequent did that happen?
0: Oh, it was uh, it was a way of life. I mean, we had I remember we had this guy in our battalion that these alarms had gotten so frequent that he could uh, uh, replicate the um, the sound of the alarms, and so you know we could be walking to go take a shower, and he would go off with this alarm sound. And we would freak out and go grab our stuff and get the bunkers, you know, after a while we got used to it. But, I mean, it was that frequent that somebody would mimic the sound. I mean, it was, oh, we're getting in bunkers, you know, it's, uh, you know, everybody's got to get counted for it. Was, it was just a way of life.
1: And it you was, talk in the middle of the night, too, you're sleeping and all of a sudden the alarms go and you're out to the bunkers
0: yeah i mean the the what i can remember the most is it happened at nighttime, um you know and whether i was you know well if i was working i wasn't on base so it didn't affect me uh but if i was on base you know whether i was eating or uh working out you know i could be sleeping you know the alarm would go off and everybody knows as soon as the alarm goes off you get in these concrete bunkers and it it would happen all the time I mean, I'd be showering, and I have to turn off the thing and run upstairs and go grab my gun and, or you know, wear, you know my rifle and uh, get ready to go get bunkers just in case it happened to land where our, we were at, you know. Was it
1: really uh, difficult to get a solid night of sleep?
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I won't. I can't say that I didn't have the occasional good sleep, but. That's a very uh, loose term, I would say, for many military members, because a good night of sleep could consist of maybe five hours of sleep, Uh, but I mean, I had nights where maybe I had an hour of sleep, uh, very commonly, you know, three hours, you know, and it didn't matter, you know, I would be, you know, we'd get home, you know, and uh, I'd go to sleep, you know, do whatever I had to do, shower, eat, you know, and that was usually the first thing we'd do, but I'd go to sleep not but an hour to uh, wake up, you know, and we're, we're back on the road, let's go, you know, and it's like, oh, man, you know, so, but, you know, you can only gripe about it so much because whether you like it or not, you're still in Afghanistan.
1: <laughs> right, right. That's just got to be so tough. I mean, sleep is so important, everybody knows, for one's mental health, and add the lack of sleep onto all the stress that you're describing, it's just got to be incredibly wearing on guys
0: yeah you know and like i said i mean you know some people show it you know but for the majority you know i don't remember anybody that i really worked with um or served with you know ever been calling in for a sick day or you know we like i said we we swallowed it down you know we we hit it there was no time for it and so but there's regardless of how horrific that sounds you know, we still functioned, even off little sleep. You know, I still, I worked out twice a day. You know, I still had my three meals. You know, I, I still had a life. I would shop, you know, on my off time, you know, and not that I had a lot of, it, but, you know, I had internet access, you know, I would I had a cell phone, um, which was definitely nice, but very expensive. Uh, but, you know, I could text the occasional person when I was on base, not just anywhere. It doesn't work like that, but, uh, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't a bad life at the time.
1: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of that, yeah, sounds okay, right? You get the internet access, you got your cell phone, but holy crap, you are in the middle of of stuff. That is um, amazing. How long was your tour there in Afghanistan then?
0: So, let's see, we went... Um, wait, wait. Flew over in July, and I didn't get back to the states until February, uh, and then I didn't get all the way back home until March. So, uh, how many months is that? So it sounds like about seven months or so
1: in yeah. Afghanistan.
0: Yeah. It was, uh Yeah. Seven, eight months. Uh, around there. Um, yeah. But, Yeah. It was. It was enough.
1: <laughs> what? Uh, how about that flight back? Like when you got in. The plane and knew you were leaving afghanistan what was that like
0: uh well it was pretty good uh because it was well deserved and what i mean by that is i remember in october uh i'm just going to recap a little bit but in october of our deployment um we were told we were going to go home and so uh, or, you know, there was rumor at least, you know, and so we all kind of got amped up. It was like, yes, you know, it's just over quicker than we thought it was going to be. We're out of here. Well, the, it wasn't true. Uh, we didn't get to go home. And so we were there for another, what, four or five months after. So, you know, this feeling and this joy of going home was already robbed from us, you know, from this rumor five months ago. And so the feeling of leaving was finally great because we finally got to get out of there, uh, and so we were all excited. And we, we got to go to, Jer or we got yeah we went to Kuwait first, um, and so that we got to decompress there for two weeks. We had to, we were preparing ourselves to introduce ourselves back into the civilian life, and so we had to have this decompressive, you know decompress time in Kuwait, but. Finally, being there, out of harm's way, no more rocket attacks, no more convoys. I could lounge in my, you know, pajamas all day. It was really nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, that must have just been heavenly. It um, was. Is there any kind of guilt uh, feeling associated with like, okay, I'm leaving some others behind, or
0: no? Well, because I mean, you got to think. I mean, we were a unit, and so um, honestly, I don't remember any of our units staying. I could be wrong, but um, yeah, we all went home at the same time. I mean, we made friends with, you know, army battalions and, and we even had a senior chief that was part of our battalion, but he was working, he was a independent contractor. And so he was actually over there working as an independent contractor while we were serving. And so it's funny cuz he served with us but two totally different jobs. He was a civilian, he had a big old beard and we had clean shaven faces while we were working, you know, but the, the feeling of guilt, no, you know, yeah. we, 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 support one another, especially if somebody wanted to stick behind, you know, and, and if that person was disturbed or had issues, you know, we, we look out for one another, you know, of course we, it would affect us somehow if we just turned our backs to them.
1: Right. So was the return home, like getting home? You you come back and you have your wife and the kids, right, that you come back to?
0: No. Uh, that's not how it works for me anyways. Uh, maybe some people, but um, we went from Kuwait to Germany. Uh, and so once we were done with our decompress, we started our travel towards the States. Uh, and that was, I mean, however long it took to fly from Germany and whatnot to get back to Mississippi. But I remember... We first stopped in Germany and that was a memorable experience because uh, for one we were finally able to have a beer and so after seven months of being really good and <laughs> not getting to have anything to drink, and not that we all are big drinkers, but you know, we were you know, we don't get to relax, relax. We just get, you know, to survive I guess. But we got to have two beers in the airport and so it was amazing and not that German beer is the greatest and sorry to say and I am German too but it's very strong it's very rich but it was rewarding and it's
1: just the whole feeling and the whole concept I I would imagine too like you said like finally being able to have that so it's probably so much more than just the taste of the beer going down right that had so much meaning to it I would imagine
0: Well, and to top it off, and so, uh, unfortunately, I am a smoker, Uh, I do smoke cigarettes, um, and I'm not proud of that, but uh, a lot of us smoked over there, and the the thing that was, I think, really uplifting, at least for me, was in the German uh, airport, there is a designated non-smoking area, and so all the smokers were just laughing, because we didn't have to go to the designated smokers area, all the non-smokers had to leave and go to the designated non (laughs) smoker Right. It's like, yeah. That's funny. (laughs) But, you know, it it was a good feeling, you know. But then from there, you know, we we head to Mississippi. And uh, I wasn't happy about it because I didn't have the money. uh, And, you know, it's kind of hard to plan your family to arrive uh, or be there for your arrival in a whole other state. And so to get everybody that I loved and that was waiting for me from Oregon to Mississippi wasn't realistic. And so I had no one waiting for me. You know, I, I came back to the States and got to see all these people with, you know, joyous faces for the family that, you know, came out to see him. But, you know, I was, and I'm not putting guilt on my family or anything like that, but it was just a very lonely feeling, you know, finally being, you know, in the United States. And not having, you know, those there that loved me, you know, that was that was pretty hard.
1: Right. And how long did you spend in Mississippi then?
0: So I believe we got back in February, and uh, I don't. I might have been there till April, uh, which made it even harder because once again we had to go through the next step. You know, they they start evaluating this. You know, do you have any effects? You know, do you have any nightmares? You know, and you start getting this kind of like it's to me it was almost a third degree because no matter how much they design the, the, the uh how we decompress when we come back home um i think there's still a lot of variables that aren't accounted for and so i didn't want to get poked and prodded at. i already didn't feel good because my family wasn't there and so you know i had uh, some advice from a uh, another uh, troop that. You know had been through this and before I started this process and um, they were like well what do you want to do you want to go home or do you want to be stuck here and I said I want to go home and so that that starts me into my next chapter of the VA but uh, you know I I, I lied I, I honestly lied um, you know and so when they asked questions of do I have anxiety do I have uh, nightmares insomnia you know the whole list of things, you know, I, I kind of watered it down. It was, no, I'm fine. I, I brushed it off You know, and I was 25. I was young and dumb, you know, and I thought I was gonna bounce back from these things and so that reassured my uh, Decision to tell them that no I don't have issues and you know, I want to go home and so You know spending the next you know, however long there, uh, you know, I finally um Got through it all and got to head back home, uh, at the cost of not documenting uh, my issues.
1: And did that come uh, back with some consequences for not having reported it immediately?
0: Well, no. It was it, the the only consequence to it is um, the the issues, you know, such as PTSD, insomnia. You know, the uh, I have various aches and pains. You know, my My shoulders are pretty much blown, my my knees are, uh, they give me issues. I mean, I'm not, not, I mean, I can still walk and I can still lift stuff and all that, but there's just certain things I can't do anymore because of the wear and tear I've done to my body from uh, what I did in the military. And so now trying to prove that it's service related uh, with the VA, has become a very long uh, and drowned out process. I've been fighting them since uh, 2014, uh, I believe. Yeah, Uh, took a little while. And Once things finally started, well not finally, but started affecting me, uh, I I started trying to get my benefits, and because I don't have it in my records, makes the battle a little bit harder. And so all I got is uh, on the books is insomnia, uh, which, does it provide for family and that's not why I'm doing it, but you know, it's, uh, it's hard, you know, having to deal with the issues that I have, but also having to provide for a family. You know,
1: Right. So I know you made it sound like it's much more difficult. Are you still able to get those services that you deserve? Um, are they supporting you? So. The m- okay. okay. Uh,
0: well, yeah, I, I got lawyer, uh, a little while back and, uh, you know, they're, Help me out, but this system for the disabled veterans, um, you know, it's it's a horrible system. I'm not gonna lie. I I hate being a part of it. I hate getting a phone call once a year and being like, oh, you know, we'll, we're 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 getting close to working on yours. Like, really? Like, it's been a year. Now it's been two years. Now it's, you know, it's 2018 and I deployed in 2010, uh, and I I only have on the books is insomnia. Yet I deal with PTSD. I deal with anxiety, and I can't prove it. And so, I have to manage myself and the issues that I received from going to war, while also having to try and make an income for my family. So you're getting
1: no support from the VA right now for the PTSD and anxiety and such?
0: No, I just have insomnia. Uh, I, I get 10, I'm 10% disabled uh, through the VA for insomnia. And I've had that since, I think, 2014, maybe 2015 when I finally started fighting. Uh, But, I mean, I do put some of the guilt on myself, though. You know, like I said, I I didn't report it. You know, I didn't disclose it. So that made it hard for me.
1: Well, I would imagine that many men don't realize that they're experiencing PTSD or the PTSD doesn't even manifest for a year or so. Um, yeah. But obviously it sounds like it's much more difficult than just getting a letter from a psychologist saying These are his diagnoses
0: Well uh, Supposedly I, I, I might have some leeway with that so and thankful to my lawyers uh, You know, They got me um, in touch with a psychiatrist because I, I saw one initially when I went through all the claims um, for PTSD and I got denied and that's how it usually goes especially for a claim that doesn't have a lot of evidence, I guess you could say. Um, but I got denied. Uh but I just got uh recently done uh reevaluated by another psychiatrist and um it should hopefully benefit my uh case in the near future. I don't know, maybe twenty twenty. <laughs> but uh Sorry, i got to make a joke about it because it's realistic. But um, no, he came back and said, I do have depression. And uh, I have secondary depression um, and I, I have PTSD. Uh, and that's what his findings were from our uh, our time together. Okay. And so hopefully that should benefit me, especially being as the person that originally evaluated me. Um, I guess, I mean, through all this either did her job incorrectly or she deliberately denied me my benefits and so hopefully something comes from it
1: right and so since 2010 you've been experiencing symptoms of PTSD um, anxiety depression and you haven't been able to get any kind of professional support or have you still
0: well so see now here's the thing so you know initially you know when I uh Came home. You know, I was 25. Um, yeah, 25, and um, I felt I was young. I mean, a lot of us feel this way. You know, you, you get an injury, and you know, the next day you're you're back up and running. You know, I, I I still have that mentality that I'm young. I'm gonna bounce back. You know, this minor knee issue that's not gonna bug me in the you know a couple months or you know the shoulder that you know from. Throwing bags and doing various other things, you know, it's a, uh, it's not going to bug me. And then, you know, I had the anxiety. I, I remember, you know, uh, the hyper vigilance. The the flight and fight mode didn't switch back like it does for some. You know, I was still in this go 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 mode. Um, you know, I was, I had spouts of anger, and, uh, you know, sadness, and you know, the depression, but. I bottled it all down, you know. And it's what I've always did, and it might just be a bad habit from my childhood because I did the same thing back then. You know, anything that bothered me, I just I bottled it up, and so I didn't want to go see a, a medical professional for something that I felt as though I could handle, and I put myself in this bad habit.
1: And I know you just mentioned how you were recently evaluated. Um, and given a diagnosis but prior to that you haven't you you really haven't had any kind of psychological support at all or or are you just referring to well immediately upon your return not wanting to to deal with it how long did you live I guess my question is after returning 2010 how long did you live before kind of admitting that you needed help and really seeking help
0: well, I mean, I, I, i managed, I mean, for the heck, it must have been, I mean, three years. I mean, I mean, I had issues, but I didn't, I didn't look at them as something, I don't know. I, I just, I was blind to what they were at that time, but I, I lived this, when I came home, you know, I, I got my six months leave, um, for unemployment, um, and then I also had, uh. A month or two that I accrued a vacation time, so I had about eight months off, and so you know I I got to spend it with my family. I was happy. I had little spouts, you know, a little anger, um, you know, various little things. But maybe it was part of my childhood and the things I went through. Uh, You know, I I I was able to hold grasp of what was going on for the most part, but. I, I ignored it, and so I, I lived life, you know, I, I went and got me a nice job, I, I worked up the ladder, um, and then it started really getting me, you know, the, the, after about a couple of years, uh, and we were told this too, in Kuwait, and you know, this was part of the decompress, that some people it affects them right off the bat, some people maybe a week later, maybe a year later, maybe ten years later, you just don't know, everybody's different. And it took me a couple years of living a normal life um, before it started weighing on me. I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle little comments from my coworkers. I, I started getting scared of uh, the, the people around me. Um, you know, I was, uh, I, I became a hermit crab. I, I just, I could not handle everything life was throwing at me anymore. And this is where the the disabilities really started manifesting themselves and it made me start the process to uh, getting my benefits uh, and so I, I, I saw a counselor, you know, I saw medical professionals that all they wanted to do was give me a smile and feed me prescriptions, um, you know, and I, 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 I can honestly say through everything that I went through whether it was a counselor, whether it was a doctor, my own doctor, the VA. I started to lose trust in the medical field and I wanted nothing to do with them because they weren't benefiting my life. They were making it worse. And I, once again, wow. I had to take it upon myself to manage this by myself, like I always have.
1: What kind of strategies were you using when you say just managing it yourself? Was it essentially just putting that mask on and just pretending that you were fine?
0: It was. Uh, you know, that I. You know, when when they first started coming out, I managed in the sense of fighting what it was trying to do to me, and so I kept persevering. You know, I, I I kept going to work. I I kept bringing money in, and I, I I had well, I was four years. I worked my way up to a furnace operator at Precision Cast Marks. Uh, You know, I was it was a good job. I was making you know uh, twenty plus bucks an hour. You know, it was. Really provided, and I had a lot of overtime because I was a welder. Uh, but I gave up this life. I gave up the pension because I, my mind couldn't take it anymore. So I, I left. I, I flee. I, I ran. I gave it up, and uh, I, I guess you could say I took a risk. And so I, I kind of, you know, buried it down again, and I went and got myself a CDL. I went to school for the first time. Uh, it was a month long. I got a CDL. And I chose this job because of a buddy of mine and I wouldn't have to be around people. I'd be in the luxury of my own truck driving and, you know, I I don't have to deal with it. So it helped me at that time. And so it sustained me, Um, but that only lasted for about a year before I got into a a car accident on my own, um, on my own time, not as a truck driver. But um that enhanced my issues and put me out of commission at the moment. Um, I, I got hit by the driver's side and I have like a broken leg or anything, but I was pretty rattled up and uh, after that, you know, I go through the whole legal aspect and whatnot. But it led me to school. And honestly, where I started doing this change uh uh, being able to understand my issues and being able to really control them on my own was through knowledge. School did it for me. You know, taking classes like psychology um, or human development. You know, I, I was start. I, I was able to find the understanding in my life lessons, and I I started getting, you know, take back grasp of my mind again. You know, and heal instead of bottling it up, you know In what
1: ways would you say the learning about it benefited you?
0: Well, like I said, I mean it gave me understanding so you know before you know This understanding I had you know, I looked at it as pain. I looked at it as suffering. You know, why me? You know what you know uh, I'm never gonna heal from this, you know, just the whole woe is me mindset and I'm never gonna change Um, I was able to look at it different. It was a different perspective. You know, I was able to, you know, see, I mean, without going, you know, too far into the education aspect, because I'm not going to teach you psychology. (laughs) But what I received from places like that was why we do the things that we do. And and factual information to, I mean, it almost, I guess, enlightened me. It, It just... I was able to go into this world that I was lost into for so long and actually make a choice now instead of fight for survival. You know, I don't know if that clarifies or answers your question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think all of the the things that you were going through started to make a lot more sense as you learned about it.
0: Exactly. You know, and, and that, that was the part that just really helped me. It just, it allowed me, I mean, and I still have my episodes, don't get me wrong, I mean, I just had one another day. Um, you know, and they, they come and go, you know, sometimes they last a little while, but uh, I know it's not permanent. And I know what things benefit me. Everybody's different. Everybody has their own little thing. You know, and for me, let's just say, for instance, music, and, you know, there's actual music therapy out there, you uh, but I, I utilize music in a way that can calm my mind, you know, or um, like with the Twitter and, you know, all of this, you know, talking about it, you know, that takes so much burden off your shoulders. You know, there's just so many different avenues that you can do uh, that can make your suffering more manageable uh, without professionals, per se. Right. I'm not saying don't do it without professionals, you know. I, maybe I'm just you know a lucky one or whatever. But uh, you know, everybody's got their own process. And if you can't do it on your own, go seek help. You know, use medication, whatever it may be. You know, but for me, I found a different way.
1: Are there other strategies you could share with us that you're utilizing to maintain your? mental health or you know and you mentioned episode i'm guessing that you were referring to an episode of depression
0: yeah i mean very i mean sometimes I i have uh spouts of anger you know and i just uh i don't know i'm I'm very uh i I react without thinking uh there's moments where i'm stuck in this mindset where i just break into tears and and it's sad because uh my daughter you know and my daughter's my life force i mean my whole family is don't get me wrong but you know my daughter gave me this meaning in life that really gave you know helped me through all this as well but you know there's times at night that you know i i dwell on something in the past or you know the, the episode is bringing up something or it's just a feeling sometimes it's not even a memory at all it's just a feeling but you know to make me cry to make me you know, weep and my my daughter has to see this. I mean she doesn't have to but she's my magnet. We've been glued to each other since day one and you know, she stays up with me and I, I try to keep it away from her the best I can, you know, but you know, it's it happens all the time. You know sometimes I go a month without having anything and other months, you know, I'm I'm stuck in it for a month, you know.
1: Uh, what is it like if you're stuck in an episode for a month what does that month look like
0: well that month is just it's not very uh I got, I'm not motivated and I'm that's my biggest thing is you know I find myself stuck and I, I'm still uh I don't like to leave my house Um, you know the mailman come knock on the door and I'll I'll go run and hide uh, you know and, and that's all the time but the, the month of these spells, you know I still do well at putting the face on, and so, you know, during the day, you know, whether I have to go to school or uh, whether I'm taking care of my kids or talking to my wife, you know, I, I bottle it down and I do what I always have. And sometimes I let some of it out, but, uh, but the nighttime is when um, the other half of me comes out, and not all the time, but in these episodes, um, and, you know, I'll... I'll become depressed I'll you know I'll get angry sometimes I'll throw stuff you know I mean it, it's always sporadic um, and so I just kind of lock myself in a cage and I, I keep it away from the world except for what I write and you know I'm now learning how to get it out there such as you know this or writing a simple tweet you know and yeah. even telling my wife um, but
1: yeah, I think sharing your story and doing the advocacy through twitter and and your blog i know you have as well i think can be really therapeutic
0: yes uh and i have lots of ambitions you know because part of this journey into education and knowledge you know hasn't only given me um the strength and the tools to deal with my mental health more so than i already have but it's also you know It's also taught me who I am and what I want to do. And so, you know, I have Twitter. And, you know, when I started this Twitter, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't initially do it for, I guess, mental health. I didn't do it for to be an advocate or even an influencer. You know, I was, I was soaking up, you know, uh, inspiration from Prince Sia and Jay Shetty. You know, they were giving me the inspiration I needed in life. And I wanted to do this. You know, I looked at my story and. I just went on there, and I just I just wanted to start using my abilities as a writer, uh, and entwining it with my experiences, and write about it. And you know, I started building my following. Now I'm up to 500 plus followers uh, of you know, uh, advocate. You know, I'm, I'm on Facebook as for the be the change. You know, and it's uh, starting something, and I'm glad I'm a part of it. You know. Yeah,
1: that's fantastic. What uh, If people want to check out your blog, can you let them know where to go for your blog?
0: Yeah, so uh, you can go to WordPress, um, and most anything that I'm on, you can find me at Lee J. Plummer, whether it's at WordPress, uh, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. um, But yeah, Lee J. Plummer, that's most everything there. All right, awesome.
1: I will uh, make sure to have those links uh, in the show notes as well. Okay. So you are currently in school, right?
0: Yes, I am. Uh, I actually just graduated, but uh, I have a couple more semesters left of my GI Bill, and so I'm utilizing it to continue learning.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on the graduation. What are you hoping to do once you graduate? What's the degree in?
0: Well, uh, I got, so when I first started my journey to school, uh, it wasn't to go get a career. It was just for me, I wanted to learn, and so I got my degree in uh, uh, it's associates in general studies, um, and so it's an accomplishment. It's something that you know I, I I accomplished and I got done through you know everything that I've endured in my life. But yeah, uh,
1: absolutely, something to be proud of.
0: Yeah, but I I went there to be me, uh, and so I, I found writing in school, and I uh, I found, i refound the passion. For art that I always have been, and so now I'm structuring my life so I can be an artist full time. And so I, you can also find me on YouTube and Facebook at Lee's Woodcrafts. Um, you know I, I do woodwork, and uh, you know I'm trying to turn it into a small, you know, at home business to provide sustainability. But I'm also striving to become a published author. And, working on various projects such as children's books my novels and my influence on social media
1: that sounds great are any of these pieces uh connected to mental health or to uh, your experience in the military as far as like your artwork I know obviously your blog is but like your artwork or writing books any of those have to do with it
0: Everything I do, whether it's art, writing, uh, you know, the blogs, it, it pertains to my being. And so, it. yes, a lot of it has to do with mental health. It has to do with finding the strength. But a lot of it also has to do with, you know, finding your purpose and your passion. But, uh, yeah, it's all designed around mental health and just having the freedom to take control of your life. And that's a lot of my books that I'm doing. Um, you know, my children's books are designed around supporting one another and, you know, helping one another. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, it's all, it's all about where I came from and the, the things I had to go through.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm really impressed, particularly with the fact that, like you mentioned, these are two of your passions. You've loved art. Mm-hmm. You talked about it earlier, how you loved art forever and uh, and writing has become such a passion too and now you're uh, you know studying about it and doing more of it and really following your passion which i think is so important
0: you know, I I I've never um, i never thought i'd have the feeling but you know it's, I don't know it's this realization that following what is honestly true to you uh, is it's possible you know and and it took me 15 years to figure that out and all the the things i've been through but you know there's nothing better for your health than doing stuff that you love to do you know i mean exactly
1: not only is it possible but i think it's really important Yeah, it is so lee before we part ways i'd love to hear any kind of final words pieces of advice that you'd give to maybe another vet in particular, a veteran who's going through a challenging time, or anybody uh, who's struggling with some depression now?
0: Uh, I mean, it's, it, we all have different journeys, and you know, um, but you gotta stay strong. But I, I came up with this method, uh, I, I guess kind of a method, it's something I'm working on at the moment, but uh, I have these four steps to kind of how I battle my depression. and. The, the, how I came to this was through what I did for far too long, and that was fighting. And I'm not telling people not to fight. You know, <laughs> you this mental bat. No, i no, not. But this this mental battle you got. I mean, you gotta fight. But that is just one part of the process. And you know, if you just if that's all you're doing, all you're doing is surviving. And there's there's another door on the side of that. So I came up with this process where. You know, you gotta fight. You know, for the strength, but you gotta. You gotta dive uh, for. You gotta dive towards the pain. You gotta dive towards the weakness. Just, you know, from that, when you absorb what it is that is suffering, you know, making you suffer and making you hurt and do the things that you don't want to do, you you gotta go towards it head on, because after you do that, you can emerge from it, and from that you've embraced uh your pain which will in return give you power and it will allow you to just open your mind and find that freedom that you know you've always wanted uh through this mental battle
1: i think that's awesome i you know i think a lot of people talk about like acknowledging it and almost like being with that rather Mm -hmm. than trying to always run from it and how powerful that is
0: it is and you know i My biggest thing is you gotta embrace it. You know, even more so than just the term accepting it, you gotta embrace it. It it is a part of you. You have changed from this. You're you're never. I I don't I don't mean to be you know discouraging, but you're not gonna be the person you were before the trauma that you endured. You're new. This is something better. But I promise you that there's some good that comes out of it. But you gotta embrace it. You gotta accept it and make it a part of you, because when you wear it on your sleeve, you know, you you can do anything you want. Right. But uh, I do, uh, actually, you know, on your note, um, I did want to touch base on one last thing, though. Yeah. I do cope, Um, I I do have another medicine that I use, and uh, I live in Oregon, and so we are a state where um, marijuana is legalized uh, recreationally. Right. Um, I I do use, uh, but I use responsibly, I mean, I do use recreationally, but the majority of the reason why I use is because it does, with the advancements we've came in this, um, you know, day and age, I, I came from when it was illegal, you know, and we all did it for fun and nobody knew about, you know, all the variations that we have to it now, but it helps my anxiety it helps my head stop spinning so I can gain some clarity. And I, I'm not trying to encourage people to use marijuana, but if nothing's working for you, you know whether it's prescriptions or self-help books or talking to a professional, you know it, it might be something to consider because it does make a difference. And it, it makes a difference for me personally.
1: Right. Um, yeah, I think you know it's probably different for everybody. I know a lot of times people talk about self-medicating and and long-term uh concerns and such. Um uh, but I it's working for you and if it's working for you, I think that's great. And I you know, I think there are a lot of uses actually that they're figuring out with the marijuana as well.
0: Oh, they really are. I mean, and it's it's, it's you know, it's you don't have to look at it as going and having to buy one of these extravagant pipes or, uh, you know, go grow a plant, you know. There's other options. There's oils. I mean, there's there's so many other things that you don't have to necessarily pick up this lifestyle that we've always had in our faces from the movies and TV and the 70s and blah, blah, blah. It's not like that now. It's There's a lot of medicinal purposes to it. You know, if you insomnia. It allows me to sleep, you know, by using a certain strand, you know, there's just, you got to be responsible with it just like anything, but it's, it's an option and it, it helps me.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think that's fantastic. And I could, um, definitely understand it helping with the insomnia piece and insomnia, you know, at least my experience and from what I've learned from other men too, when they do go and get professional help the first thing doctors typically want to do is get your sleep under control because mm-hmm. it is so important and I wonder if just your eight months of uh, Afghanistan and never really being able to get a solid sleep if that's even impacted you
0: no it might have I mean I—I I mean, my sleep is not the greatest but you know I'm used to it I, I have good days but yeah. uh, one of my biggest things is I get stuck on the couch a lot uh, you know I'll I'll be up until two, three in the morning, and before you know it, a wall hits me, uh, you know, uh, through my insomnia episode, and I'll just pass out. And I don't sleep. I mean, sometimes I don't make it up to bed for a week. I mean, it's it's it gets that bad that I mean, not that I can't control it, but you know, and that's where I start going towards you know finding um, things that can help me. Right. Plants. My my wife just bought a snake plant a while back, and that actually helps insomnia by having those in your home. Oh, awesome. you
1: know? Yeah, so well, I'm hoping. Uh, you know, it sounds like you're on an awesome path. You're doing really well. I'm glad that you have some new diagnoses that might help you get the the help you deserve from the VA. I certainly hope you get that. Um, I want to thank you first of all, um, as a veteran, thank you for your time of service. That's an incredible uh, thing you've done for everybody. So I really want to thank you for that. I also want to thank you for uh, taking time on the Depression Files and uh, keep working and keep staying healthy.
0: I will do. And I I appreciate the support. You know, we we all do as uh, veterans and troops, you know. But uh, thank you for this opportunity.
1: Thank you for listening to the Depression Files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text to 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression and would like to be interviewed for the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at al levin 18 thank you again for listening to the depression files